In today's episode of Seeing God, we hear from Brad and Stella Reed. They pastor a church called the New York Dream Center. We'll hear about how they ended up in New York City and how they recognize God at work in the constant busyness of the city. They'll also talk about God's surprising kindness, dropping out of college to go where God told them to, and what we mean by that title, the Miraculous Church. I will also say that I know Brad and Stella personally. I'm the one doing the interview today. I used to attend the New York Dream Center uh, when I lived in New York City for a little while. Stella also mentored me a little bit in college. So that's the backstory on how I've gotten to know them. And I was really excited to have them on this interview today. This is a podcast that tells stories about what God is doing right now in the world. We focus on what is happening with, in, or through Christians. The Bible says in Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. I'm your host, Emma Moore. Let's get started. really excited that you guys are with us today. So first, could you start by describing what you currently do? Yes, for sure. Um, I'll kind of just go ahead and start with me. I, um, right now, um, Brad and I, we uh, pastor uh, and, uh, and run a nonprofit in New York City called the Dream Center NYC and the Dream Center Church uh, in New York City. And so personally for me, um, I co-pastor with Brad and um, that could be anywhere from, you know, anything that's church service related to also the justice and mercy leg of our church, which is the, you know, our work in the city. And so I manage and run the team for the work that happens on the day to day in all of our communities that we serve. Um, and then I also have four children. So I am also a mom <laughs> and uh, and balance all that in the city with it. So that's kind of what my cur- what I currently do at this specific moment. Yeah. And I'll piggyback off that. My name is Brad. And yeah. And, and uh it's interesting, our dynamic, our work dynamic, because me and Stella have always worked together. Uh, but now, even more so with everything we're doing with our family and the nonprofit and having a church alongside that, I'm, I primarily focus on the church community as a whole and focus on um, really running the, um, that part of, our, of, of what we do in the city. And then we kind of have overlap from time to time, depending on what we're doing and the, the communities that we work in. So how long have you guys been doing that? We can start with in New York City. Yeah, New York City. Yeah, well, we we have moved. We moved 10 years this month in May of two, uh, 2009 in May, we moved to New York City to start building and planting the Dream Center Church and um, the nonprofit work. So we have been in the city now for 10 years, which I don't know if that gives us street cred or what now, but <laughs> we've officially made a 10-year mark. Um, and good thing is I feel like we, we know the city more than we did 10 years ago. I feel more, I feel like we, we are New Yorkers. We raise our kids here. Our kids go to the schools here. Um, you know, we shop here. We, you know, you kind of just, we're, we're local now. I, we're not, I don't feel like I'm a home. I, when somebody asks where home is, New York city is home. And so, um, your, your kids sound like New Yorkers. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. In fact, our, th- our daughter, Chelsea, has a New York accent. They're all New Yorkers. They take the train to, our middle schoolers take the train uh, to school, you know, to and from school. And so, yeah, that we're, we're, we're New Yorkers. Yeah. So 10 years. Wow. So how did you get to New York? Well, actually, let's back up even more than that. Can you describe how you were introduced to God? And then maybe from there, we'll get to how you ended up in New York City. Sure. I'll, let me let me let me jump in here on, and I'll have to give you my story. I grew up actually in Alabama, which is interesting. So my kids are uh, two of my kids are born in, in North in uh, in California. The last two were born in New York City. I was born and raised in Alabama, and Stella was raised in Sacramento. So we don't know what we are. Uh, our house was confused. We're very confused. And uh, but I grew up in Alabama, and I grew up actually going to. Uh, I grew up in a in a religious home. And when I say religious home, I just mean that like a lot of people in the South, um, our faith was really important to our home. And so I grew up and uh, going to church and being what you, I guess you would consider to be religious. And at uh, some point in the journey, I kind of went my own way and kind of did what I, I kind of started, you know, as you get older, you kind of want to feel out what you want to do in life. And um, I almost feel like it's the Lemony Snicket's um, thing on Netflix, you know, where it's like a, a series of unfortunate events later. <laughs> I had a series of unfortunate events happen to me in my life, and uh, I had to make some kind of different decisions. I was actually going into to do sports medicine. I actually had a passion for athletics, and I had um, a pretty keen mind for science and stuff. So I was actually going to school at the time uh, at a school in Tennessee. I was taking uh, courses going into pre-med and I was wanting to specialize maybe in doing sports medicine. And then I had just had this just crazy encounter with God. I had this insane kind of life altering road to Damascus type of experience where God just radically changed my heart. And I started working in full-time ministry. So uh, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what um, I just felt in my heart that I was supposed to be working in full-time ministry. And so I started working locally with, uh, with people at the church that I was there, well, was at there in my hometown. And from there, I, um, one day I was checking my mom's email and all of a say, all of a sudden I heard the loudest voice I've never heard. I always say that's what, what, the, what it felt like to me. I just felt this inside, this resonance telling me to look up the dream center. So I was like, man, this is, yeah, I was actually really shocked by it. I was like, man, what, what, what in the world? And um, so I had looked, you heard of the Dream Center before? I had heard of the Dream Center in passing. I'd heard um, kind of like uh, Pastor Tommy Barnett, one of the founders, had been in the area preaching a few times, but he just kind of made mention of it, but it wasn't really predominant, really wasn't this big thing. And um, so it really wasn't on the forefront of my mind at all. Really, it was almost like it was just a faint. Thing that I'd heard before, but it wasn't even on my radar. And so for the, so to, so to feel that and hear that was very strange to me. And so, um, I look it up and then as I'm watching it, I have this kind of experience where I'm like, I, this is where I need to go. And so, uh, like all good responsible people, two days, two and a half days later, I'm on a Greyhound bus going to LA. <laughs> so, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so I kind of had somebody, uh, it just all worked out really quick. It was, I think it was, I think it was maybe three days. I was probably being a little evangelistic. I think it was about three days. Um, uh, but we had some people just about moving in. I was actually, uh, with a friend of mine that we were leasing a house together 
and we had some new roommates wanting to move in. And so they just took over. It was just the perfect timing. And I got on the bus and I came to, I went to Los Angeles and I started working at the mission there. And that's how I started in the ministry. And then from there, it was just a series of events. I'll let Silla kind of pick up on her story and we can kind of share how our stories kind of merged at the Dream Center. But that was a, it was a radical kind of shift for me to go from, I'm, hey, I'm going to do this medicine thing because I want to be around sports teams to my life being like, I just want to serve people and I just want to help people. And that was really, I want to, I want to reach people for God. That was a, that was the big shift that I, that I went through. So you quit school when you had that experience with God and then you pretty much left for the dream center. I did. Yes. I'm talking, my parents are really happy by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was kind of curious about how your family reacted to that. Oh man, I love that idea, right? Like I'm so (laughs) glad that you're not, you don't have that medical degree. Like who needs that? You know, that's, you know. Your your life your life as a poor missionary would be far greater. Give us far more security, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I was I was already at the Dream Center when Brad got there, so I had been there for a couple years uh, before Brad even landed on the scene in LA, because the Dream Center concept started 25 years ago um, in Los Angeles um, in downtown LA, and um, under the leadership of somebody named Pastor Tommy Barnett and Matthew Barnett, his son. And so really with the heart of just being a church that was known more uh, for the other six days of the week than it is just for its Sunday services. And so with that conviction, just really began to really begin to meet the needs and serve the needs of the local community there in downtown LA. So I was just graduating high school in 1997, and I knew I wanted to be in full-time ministry. I had known that, and I actually knew I wanted to work in an inner city. And my parents were pastors, and so they were at at the time uh, planting a, a new church community in West LA. And so we were living in Northern California. And so I had, I was all set to go in the fall to college in Springfield, Missouri. And, um, but I decided to take a trip with my parents that summer to kind of just scout the land in West LA. They were going to go plant a church. And so I was raised in the ministry. And so we went, we were going to LA and I realized um, my parents were like, Hey, there's this place called the dream center that just opened up. And they just took over this huge hospital and they're like helping the people. Like, people are coming off the streets and break the like people that the drug addicts and those are coming out of gangs and coming out of prison are coming and they're getting their lives changed. It just sounds exactly like what you want to do and be a part of. You should go check it out. And so my parents thought we over the weekend we went there on that Sunday, we went to church, we walked around the campus, and the minute I stepped on that campus, my dad looked at me and said, You aren't going to Springfield in the fall, are you? And I said, I don't think so, Dad. And he's like, You're coming here, aren't you? And uh, I was like, I am, this is what I'm, I'm going to come here. And, um, I ended up raising support. I, I spent six months working, raising support to become a missionary volunteer in downtown LA working for the dream center. And so I came there right at 18, right out of high school, started working. And then, uh, at about six to nine months in, they uh, asked me if I'd be the youth pastor. And that's what I was doing. I was youth pastoring when Brad landed on the scene. And so, um, it was actually our leadership, our pastors that actually kind of, put the bug in Brad's ear about, Hey, you should, you, you and Stella should date, you know? So through our leadership and through people, that's really kind of, kind of set us up a little bit. And so anyway, we fell in love, got married and, um, youth pastored together for five years. And Brad became the associate for the dream center there. And I, we worked together and we were there. I was there 13 years. Brad was there about 10. And then, um, that's pretty much kind of how it happened before we came to New York. And then that's, we moved to New York in 2009. We were sent by our leadership to come to New York to build the dream center here. And that's uh, what we have been graciously trying to do since. Yeah. What does the dream center look like in New York city? 
Well, um, right now it's we have um, there's two aspects to it. By the way, the dead pause is me and Stella deciding which one of us is going to talk. <laughs> okay. Every time it's like you know it's like well we're both very passionate about that so it's like okay you take this one. <laughs> but, um, we have two aspects to uh, kind of what we do here as well. Uh, there's the Dream Center Church and then there's and then it's the Dream Center kind of our nonprofit which is our way to be able to accomplish meeting needs um, in our community and get more people on board outside of just the church context. And so that was why we even began the nonprofit was, um, ability to get more people on board that because it's a faith-based organization, but it was a way for us to get ability to meet more needs by developing a separate 501c3. And so, uh, but the dream center looks like we're mobile, we're a mobile church and we're a mobile organization. And so we, um, the dream center on the nonprofit, we partner with local communities, um, in the city, mainly with the, uh, which would be considered and called the NYCHA houses. Basically it's the, um, housing authority projects, I guess is what you would say in other places around the country. We partner with those communities and we provide programs, um, for those communities centered around specific areas of development, identity, purpose, neighborhood, neighborhood engagement. And it's just an opportunity for us to go in and come alongside people right where they're at and be able to recognize that there's a God dream on their life. And so we come in, it can set up shop in each of those communities. It can be a community market that we set up, a free community market where we're able to provide the necessary needs to alleviate some financial stress that they could be walking through because this is very underserved areas. And then it's our way to also bring a life-giving atmosphere within the culture of the community um, to really be able to to help uh, relationships to formed. And one of our values would be dignity. It's, it's an opportunity for us to be able to come alongside and be able to speak life into the dream that God has for their lives because it's for our heart's desire is just to see, you know, every neighborhood, you know, where everyone has the opportunity to live out their God-given dream. And so what we do is just come alongside people and whatever that looks like for us, it could, it could be cleaning a neighbor's home to, uh, you know, r- helping, uh, somebody, uh, run errands that cause they're, uh, elderly and they're shut-ins and they, they just can't get to doctor's appointments. It could be providing a bunk bed to a single mom so that she doesn't lose her children due to poverty. It can look like many things, but heart's desires that we're able to come alongside these communities and help them be able to um, go after that God dream in their life and then help unlock it. That's what we do. And then, of course, um, the church communities. We have a church community in Chelsea. Um, it's on 17th Street. It's the downtown area of Manhattan. We do that on Sunday mornings. We rent a high school. Um, and we just have a, a beautiful church community there. And then we've just recently launched, um, are in the process of building it. We're launching it in the fall. We're launching our, our first Brooklyn church community uh, here in Bushwick. I mean, the heart, our heart's desire in when we, when we plant a Dream Center church community is to just be a church community for that community. Um, the, New York City is very neighborhood. It's very village-like. And so uh, people specifically on the weekends, they're not going to go within there. They may work in a different area of the city, but where you live, you spend your time. It's the local coffee shops. It's where you grocery shop. It's where your kids play sports. It's where it's the, it's the parks that you go to. And so we really have a hard desire to plant church communities across New York City in the specific communities, because we have an opportunity to help people live life with one another and not just live life with one another, but encourage them to not only um, uh, spend time with their neighbors, but serve their neighbors. And so to be able to actually, you know, connect people to care about 
their city and care about one another. And it not just be a place that you live, but a place that you're a part of and a place that you're investing into. And so really intentionally building church communities in this city where with the city that really would be known as I mean, one of the largest cities, it's very lonely city. People are very lonely and just teaching people what real community is or what community could look like and challenging them in that. Um, actually really challenging people to live, live life in community um, and building churches that are, have diverse communities and social economic community and teaching people to live life together um, and not just next to each other, um, but actually learn to have a thriving community that learns to love one another. What are some of the practical ways that you guys encourage people to actually engage with each other in a community who might previously just have been living side by side? Um, well, I think for us, there's a couple of really practical things you can do. I mean, yeah. when you're looking from an overarching spiritual sense, I think we all know the basics of like, you know, I think the church in general, like you have to really understand that. And I think we all do. We, we, I think we lose sight of this very often, but I think it's very important to kind of remind ourselves that the church in general is a very supernatural thing. I know we don't like that. I know we don't like the term supernatural. I know that's kind of like, oh, it's kind of iffy uh, for a lot of us, but it's one of those things where you realize like, you know, according to scripture, according to biblical history, we can't even come to faith without God's intervention in our life, mm -hmm. that God's active and he's working in our life. And so I think once you understand that, you realize like, wow, just to even have a church in a homogenous community, uh, to have a real church, not just a social club, to have a real church takes, it takes a, a miracle. And I think if you can get your mind around that, then it's easier to say, you know what? Okay. It's miraculous no matter what. So Lord, could you do something maybe new in this community? I think we have some advantages over maybe other communities because our community is not very homogenous at all. Everything out of community is very diverse by nature. So it, that lends itself. Plus you have, because of zoning, um, you have a lot of economic diversity where you have people that are zoned in subsidized housing, but they're living right next to people that live in um, high-rise apartments and luxury apartments. And how, how do they actually – and so for most of the time, like you said, they're just kind of passing in the wind, you know, going to their jobs or their vocation, and they're not really interacting with each other. They, they tolerate each other on the trains or different things like that, but they don't go to dinner. They don't actually eat. So one of the things that's been effective for us uh, is has been our dinner parties and really trying to encourage people to go to dinner parties. Um, that's one practical – I don't want to give a program, but that's that really has been the kind of a programming shift that's been helpful for us to say – we're not just going to meet together in church, but let's really encourage every single member of our church to be involved in some dinner party. Uh, and so that's that's really good. And then on the practical side from leadership, we actually just I'm, I'm, I've been doing this more and more lately. Uh, it's just really kind of being really candid with people up front and saying, hey, listen, you know, get involved in a dinner party. Community actually can be very awkward. It can be very um, it, it, it's not going to initially feel like it's clicking. You're going to have to like community take commitment. And so that's one of the things is like really talking a lot about commitment. Uh, I think there's a huge level in our, in our community, in our, um, culture right now for of people, especially in New York city and other places that where people are, have high demanding jobs, but yet they have very little community and they're all right now. Everyone's clamoring for community. You hear it all the time. Like, Oh, you know, pastor, I just, I'm lonely. I need community. I need community. I need community. But one of the things they're lacking is commitment. And so really trying to highlight in our, in our community that you can't have community without commitment. 
And then the, the then the next step is once you once you develop what com, and what it takes to have commit to to, uh, to have community, then you need to we, we start having the conversation of okay, what kind of community do you actually want? You want a community that just looks like everybody else, or should the you know one of the major questions I know we were asking ourselves early on, and this question shaped the way we've done leadership is: Is it miraculous to get a group of people together that look, act, and do all the same things? Is that really miraculous? Does it really take an act of the spirit to get you know a bunch of lawyers together to talk about lawyer stuff? You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, like, you know, everyone's at the same stage of life. It's like, it's like, you know, having children. If we get around with other parents, it's naturally going to click because it's like, Hey, you're we have that, something, you're in that season yeah, we have something yeah. to talk about. Yeah. So one of the things we really try to, to a couple of things we're trying to do right now is really get down to some stuff that's, that's human issues, not social issues, not just like stuff that's de- you're dealing with in your own class, but like get down some root human issues that we can all talk about. That brings some commonality to the group. So, you know, sin is when you get into the heart of our sinfulness or idolatry, things like that in our hearts. That's something if you're rich or poor or whoever you are, you all struggle with those and you all have something to say about that. Mm -hmm. And then really trying to to get our people to say, hey, listen, let's commit to something miraculous. You know, let's don't do community just because we want community. Let's do community. And, you know, the heart of Christianity is is selfless. It's this thought of dying to self to live to Christ, you know, that, that scripture says, you know, unless the seed goes down, it dies, unless something dies, you know, it won't have a chance to really, to, to really flourish and to really live. So let's die to our dream of, you know, buddies and let's live to something more supernatural. Let's live to the idea of doing something that's collective and that's going to take effort. And, and I think you have to be upfront with people that, Hey, look, don't, cause so often we, we go into those environments and like, well, this was kind of socially awkward. Yeah. What did you expect? You know, you're hanging out with people that you never it's like going to another country almost, you know, if you went to another country and you went to a dinner party, it would take some getting, getting used to, you know? And so you just need to get people more adjusted to that mindset. Say, when we go into this, just know it's going to take a little while to, to, for these new clothes to fit and to feel comfortable. What have you been seeing God do in those environments? Well, a a couple of things come to mind. One in particular, I got to, you know, there's a couple of, you know, stories that are, they're interesting. One is a guy that we, it was a part of our visits program and he's been part of our church now for, I think two years now. So just real quick, the visits program is where um, you help people in their homes with a variety of things that they might need. Is that correct? Yep, absolutely. In, yeah. You know, in a very abbreviated. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah. It's a program that we, it's a program that we started through the, you know, nonprofit that actually came because uh, we were finding there was a lot of shut-ins. There was a lot of just honestly a little bit of our elderly mm-hmm. population of our communities um, that just had no, no, they had nobody visiting them. They had nobody spending time with no real outside connection with people. And so honestly, social workers started hearing what we were doing as a church and as a community within some of these um, some of our sites in the city. And so we now get referrals from from social workers to go take on a new client, to go visit them. And so this specific client was actually one that we, we got to get to know. And through the relationship, um, he started coming to church and actually weekly started coming to church and getting it, um, actually now comes and gets involved. And due to the fact that he's been um, a part of the church community for a while now, just recently, his uh, counselor and psychologist actually lowered a good portion of all of his meds because he had community. Um, because 
a lot of his main issue was actually not having literal connection with people weekly, not having somebody walking with him. So now somebody like him is now a part of a dinner party within our church weekly that would have otherwise not had any other community. So this was just somebody we met because we were referred by a social worker in the city because basically the church and the community and um, people, our volunteers just began to show up. Um, then he was introduced to Jesus, made a decision to become a gospel believing member as an act of us part of our church and as a part of dinner parties and now has community and has through that community. And he's, he's an older gentleman. He's not at all would be like what your normal every day, maybe uh, one that maybe would work wall street or somebody's that's in New York city for acting, or maybe somebody that's in the thick of parenting at that season. This is an older gentleman that just had no family. And now he was put in to a community that loves him, that eat that, fellowships with him that eats with him. And, um, you get to see a community built around people with people who aren't like one another. And yet there's such beauty in it. Yeah. I mean, you asked, you know, you asked about where do I see God? And so I I bring up him because I mean, his testimony is very powerful. I mean, he was on tranquilizers, like Stella said, and because he had so much anxiety and social anxiety, he couldn't, he couldn't even function outside of his house Mm -hmm. to where now he's, he comes to church all the time. And I see God in that, but but when I really see God move is when I see mm-hmm. after service yeah. or after a dinner party, the the just the conversation between him and you know other businesswomen and businessmen in our church, and you just see it. There's just a camaraderie. There's actually an actually like, hey, it's so good to see you today, and, and there's actually a genuine like, hey, I'm glad you're here today, Tony. You know. That's where I see God. I see God in that where it's not in the big things. I think so often uh, we like the big events mm-hmm. and I, I know I do too. I like, I like energy and I like seeing the mission move, the needle move. But I think I really see God in those little conversations where you're yeah, like, I that's agree. actually a genuine conversation. That was actually genuine care. Like you could tell that that individual really wanted to know how he was and he really wanted to know how that couple was or how they were, how their week was. To me, that's where I see God. I see God in that, you know, and, I see God in our, you know, in the children, in the children that are getting helped in the in the neighborhood, and you start seeing programming. You see see the community rally. Um, for us, one of the, you know, growing up in church, so often we think about where do we see God, and so often I think about the programming of the church or even what's happening inside the church. But you know, I, I, I see God in 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 a presence and the fact that people are wondering where the church is, you know, and I, I think for us, when we, we do an event, you know, the kids or the local community members are out in the, they're out in the little courtyard there and they're, they're waiting for the dream center to show up. They're waiting for the church to show up, you know, and, and it's just, a, it's a nice feeling. It's a, there's a welcoming, you know, it, it's been, a, you know, it was been a long road, but I really feel like in a, in a neighborhood that was pretty church adverse when we first moved there just seeing now, a community that really has embraced us as a church. I mean, when we first started, everything was like, well, you know, do you guys have a permit for this? Do you have this? Do you have that? Have you talked to these members? Have you talked to this board? It was so like adversarial. And now it's like the office is open. We can plug in on our stuff. You can use the space. We knew all the community board members and, uh, and they all know we're a church and no longer do we get the question. Um, are you a religious organization and what are your intentions? They, there's a trust there and I see God in trust. Mm-hmm. I really see God in, in when people trust you, I see God that like it only takes only God could do something like that. 
What are some of the hallmarks of how you recognize God moving? I think one thing is, um, without fail, the number one thing that runs to my register is uh, reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really know God's at work when you, you know, because, um, man, that's that's that scripture where Jesus says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or take up your bed and walk, right? Um, when I first came to the Lord, that I was so consumed with taking up your bed and walking. And I thought that's such a gigantic miracle. If I ever saw something like that, it would just be life-changing. I can't believe that. Now I'm realizing that I'm at a place where I know how fractured we are relationally. Uh, one leader said this, you know, leadership is really just holding all the different relationships that you have in the organization together because we're always fighting to get apart. So I really see God when people are reconciling with each other, whether it's through racial reconciliation, social reconciliation, um, just people who are normally abrasive or normally adverse to community are saying, Hey, will you forgive me? I mean, when you hear that, it's like, wow. That's where I see God, and that, and and I want to see more and more of that. But that's to me is a huge sign and a huge indicator that mm-hmm. that that God is yeah is at work. I would also say um, it's with New York City. It's really encouraging when you are able to those that want to be a part of the Dream Center or call Dream Center home when it comes to church. Really connect to where this isn't just a place that I live but a responsibility that God has given me in this season to love and to serve and to almost take priority into this, not just being where I cohabitate with other people, but you know what I mean? Like where, but this is, but I care about the local schools. We care about the families. We we care about uh, the things that help the people that call this city home um, to help them thrive and uh, help them, um, their quality of life feel strengthened. And when I, when I see people that will, that catch that, I really, that it's, that it's kind of goes right back to, I think that the, yeah. probably the underlining through it all is, is something that brought an itis for us. We, we really do. It really always brings back to, we want to see God do the miraculous, not what human ability, but beyond our ability, right. um, what Jesus can do, because at the end of the day, our job is to point people to Jesus. He's the one that will never fail them. But in our own human, are there, you know, uh, and so in that, I think it's really exciting when I'm able to see people. I, I feel like I really see God move when I see people really taking ownership to say, hey, this isn't just, oh, Brad and Celery, this is what they've given their life to. And they're called to build a church and organization mm-hmm. here. But I, when I see people that live in the sin and they link arms with us and they catch it, it's, I can just see, I'm like, wow. Yeah. We're going to be able to see God do some great things this season. Yeah, because if you think in our commercial individualistic society right now, right? So individualism is at an all-time high. It's about what I, you know, my destiny, my future. I mean, it's it's pervasive everywhere, right? Not just in not just in culture, and you know, and hey, I don't, I don't like to use the word secular, but like say secular culture or whatever. It's it's actually penetrated deep into the heart, even to the, in, into modern Christianity, right? Especially uh, Western Christianity, right? your future, your destiny. We take 
Jeremiah 29, 11, right? We take it out of context of like intermingling with the city of Babylon. Like you, you know, earlier he's like, you need to move into the houses and move in there and make them a great place, make it a great city for everybody. And we take that verse now and we just rip it out of that context and we go, God has a plan for you, a future and a hope for good, awesome things, you know? And it is true, but it's in the context of the greater thing God's doing in the city. And so when I see someone, like Stella said, catch that, they're like, hey, how is so-and-so doing? Mm -hmm. How is, you know, are they still okay? Do they need something? Let me know if so-and-so needs something. Me and my wife will pick up that. Or, you know, me and my husband will take care of that. I see God in that because I'm like, man, if you're in our culture right now that's, that's, you know, trying to get the brand new phone or the brand new thing or always, always looking two rungs up the ladder from where we are right now, I have to know that the spirit's at work if you're actually somehow pulled out of that disillusionment and you're actually looking around, seeing how you can actually be a blessing in someone else's life. That's huge. So and I think the last one for me and uh, would be uh, a, a deep sense of joy. When I see like authentic joy, oh, not I just agree. like the fake happiness, not just like, ha ha, you know, we're kind of happy right now. But like I'm talking mm-hmm. like a deep yeah. sense of joy in a community. Yeah. I, I know God has to be at work because we're so uh, we can be as, as you know, as people, we can be so fickle as far as like, you know, I'm good now, but give me 10 minutes, you know, like, like our, 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 our demeanor and our happiness is a lot like our appetite. You yeah. know, it's like I ate breakfast, so I'm good for a little while, but give me a couple hours and I'll get hungry again, you know? <laughs> Uh, and to see lasting joy, where you actually see people, you go to an event, you can see people's, you see on their countenance, there's actually a joy there. That's where I see, I see God. Uh, I, I, and to be candid with you, I wish I could see more of that. Yeah. You know, I think it is fleeting at times. But when I see that, when I see a just a joy, right? The circumstances haven't changed. I didn't get a new home. Uh, we're not at, moved out of the neighborhood yet. Uh, you know, my, you know, the, the, the person I'm praying for and for cancer hasn't been healed yet. They're still there. They're still battling, you know, she's still on chemo. All those things are still real, but yet you can definitely see that there's this, this like this abiding joy. I'm like, wow, God's at work there, you mm-hmm. know? And I think, and I've seen that not just in our organization, but you know, and I, I need to be honest and say, I've seen it in other organizations too in the city. And it's, it's, it's quite beautiful when you see it. it, you definitely know it's miraculous. You definitely know it's God when you see like lasting joy, like, wow, this mm-hmm. is, it's a deep sense of joy. Nothing circumstantial has changed. They didn't win the lottery. Now they're happy. No, they're just, there's something going on there that just, they're just happy. There's, there's a joy there. What have been some of your favorite moments with God? Mm. Hmm. I know for me, I'm a, um, I, I, I've always been this way, but specifically in New York, I guess with it being a walking city, but nothing connects me to God's heart um, and his heart for the city. Not only his heart and what he's wanting, of course, first and foremost, to always do in me, because it's always about what he's doing in me more than what he's doing, you know, what, what I'm putting my hands to work, you know, um, but is when I walk, when I, for me walking um, in the city and really, really um, spending time reflecting with him. It gets me out of my, I could be, I could be with my four kids in the house and it can be a harder day. And I just need to be able to almost put me on a timeout a little bit (laughs) now and just go and have some time with the Lord for me walking, prayer walking for me in the city, taking walks, whether it's in the park or whether it's around the neighborhood, not only 
do I get out of my, it helps me to get myself out of this situation um, that I'm in or whatever. It just centers me. And there's something for me when it comes to what God has called us to do in, and for his kingdom in this city, there is nothing that has been more special with my time with God and been more giving me more of an ability to keep the heart of what he's called us to, to do and go after right in front of me is, but is to walk and see it pray and keep it in front of me so that the heart of what he's longing to do, um, through my life, through our life, um, is there. So for me, some of my most special moments and favorite moments is honestly just getting out and walking and praying and in the city, cause it's, you see so much of the need right in front of you. So that has been, and honestly, I'd have to say also, um, it's crazy cause I can say now 10 years in, I can probably say this, but it hasn't been the mountaintop moments for me. It hasn't been the, the time when we handed out a thousand turkeys or the time where we had a wonderful, uh, you know, Easter service and we had a huge crowd for, for, for us that maybe isn't as normal or it hasn't been my, it hasn't really been me. Oh, it's just an incredible time of worship during a church service. Some of my favorite times that I can look back is actually the times where I, God was using situations that were meant to come against us and God used them to build character in me because I can look back and see what God was doing in that moment. I can look back and see where, where God was actually being faithful to me in the midst of maybe a season that was really stretching. I can probably say that because I'm 10 years in and a lot of those, a lot of my harder seasons, some of the ones I can say, cause I'm passed through some of those specific ones. Cause we're always walking through things, but I can look back and say some of my most favorite times with God was not walking with him on the mountaintops. It was walking with him through the dirt road, walking with him through the times that seemed mundane, the day to day, the things that seemed like, are we, is anything ever going to happen? But it was in those moments that I think made those possible, you know, the, the breakthroughs that you're hoping for, the suddenlies that you're hoping for. I think I was able to visibly see some of those differently because I was willing to walk with Jesus through the dirt road and not expecting just to walk with him through the beautiful scenic, you know, sunrise view or <laughs> that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, I have a few, I mean, I have, when I first got I a few encounters with God, when I first got saved, that were just incredible. I mean, like, almost unexplainably powerful. I mean, they, I mean, they, they just redirected my whole entire life. I mean, they were so powerful. I just, I mean, it wasn't like this big decision to make. It was like, oh, how, how could I not redirect my life? You know, it was like, Oh, how can I not do that? It wasn't like, Oh, this is a big decision you're making here, Brad. It, it was like, I found this treasure in the field. How can I not go and sell everything to get this? This is amazing. It, like they really were that kind of experiences. But here recently, when I think about even some recent encounters that have shaped me, I think like Stella, I do think I look back. It's like Jacob, you know, he's, he wrestled with God, you know, or he had some encounters and then he, and he has that, he has that moment in, or, uh, or he falls asleep in Jacob's ladder, like that story where he's falling asleep on the rock, you know, he has this, that, that vision of Jacob's ladder and he wakes up and he's like, God was here and I didn't even know it. Yeah. I think you can look back. I think it's interesting when you start thinking about encounters with God, you almost have to look back in retrospect to even see that, that you were encountering God. Cause sometimes you encounter him and you don't even know it. And you could see him, but he was there. But but some other things that I think were really impactful for me lately have been about a year ago, year and a half, maybe two years ago, a year, year ago, seeing my daughter uh, in church raising her hands. 
that was a huge moment for me. Uh, here recently, my son, my oldest son, coming and he comes and stands next to me in service, and I kind of put my arm around him and I'll worship and I, you know, sing and I, you know, I am who I am, so I'll sing and lift my hands or whatever. But then seeing him next to me and hearing his chest, I have my hand on his chest and I can hear him singing through the vibration on my hand. And his hands are, and he he, and he has the confidence to lift his other hand up while he's next to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an encounter for me that God was showing me that like I have, he'll have a different relationship with you than you've had with your dad. Mm-hmm. And it, and I and it's, it's just a good father that like that good father like love that you can feel from God like he you just feel him that in those moments. Um, personally, that's not it's a little more private, I guess. Are um, uh, if you if any of your listeners are are pastors at all, um, they would probably know this to be true. Because uh, I've talked to other pastors, uh, I usually have encounters with God after long Sundays uh, when you're tired, and like Stella said, you're just kind of like almost broken or tired, or you just wondering. You're vul- I guess the best word would be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You're vulnerable to attack, right? Was mm-hmm. Sunday good? Did you do the right thing? Did the outreach go well? So after big events or things like that, I think there's a lot of times where when you're in your most vulnerable space, I feel like the Holy Spirit comforts you in a special way during those times. Hmm. Has anything surprised you about God? <sighs> He's a lot more patient than I, I gave him credit for. <laughs> 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 you know, he's kind. I, I, again, that seems like it's not that it's no, surprising, kind, but yeah. in the midst of he's kind despite us, yeah. like despite us, not in spite of like, like, it's like a, like knowing how much we doubt, uh, knowing how much worry can, can flood our heart on like uh, whether it's provision, um, for our family in a very expensive city. Um, building the church and, um, questioning timelines that we always put up before him. Um, he's so kind, um, because I, he's, he's so faithful and he's so true to his word yet us were so quick to question after we've seen him literally come through time and time again, our bent so, so much as humans are just, at least I can only speak for myself in my, our own brokenness is to immediately go, okay, how are we going to, uh, well, this, is he going to come through? And I'm just so grateful that he's just so kind in the midst of, <laughs> of, of it. And I think that that is just this journey in New York, I should say, I, it's been such a, a 10 year journey for us that I am so grateful that he didn't answer certain prayers when we first got here. Yeah. Um, we were so arrogant to think we were ready for certain things when we got here 10 years ago. And so what has surprised me is how kind he was in not answering our prayers at that point, which I thought um, at the time was like, okay, what is, what's going on? This is just probably, this is a trial where, and I'm like, no, he's so kind. He knows that there was so much development that we needed to have to, to develop in us and continually as always, but I can always speak to the journey we're in presently, but just even us as parents is becoming New Yorkers, raising kids in this city, um, developing us and actually getting a vision for the city because we live in it, not coming to the city with a preconceived idea of what it was going to take, but actually listening and learning and being willing to 
to dig your roots deep. And in all of that, he has been so full of grace and so full. And I just, so if you were to say that would, I wouldn't have even thought that that would have been something I would have known that I needed 10 years ago. And, um, or that how much that has been, but that, that is a huge, huge part of my, um, my relationship with Jesus is just that recognizing just how truly faithful he is and how intricate he is actually into the path that he has us on and how he doesn't cause things um, to, to, to put us through any trials. He doesn't cause trials, but he sure uses them. And man, does he use them for our good and for our development and for the ability to really see his kingdom uh, in, in all, in all ways um, in the past. So, yeah. About you, Brad? Man, that's a really, really great question. Um, thinking about one of what surprised me about God, you know, I joked and I said patience, um, but I do think He's very patient. He's so long suffering. That that old word, long suffering, is actually a better word than our word patient. It's just such a good word for what He is. He just suffers so long with us, you know. Um, and we just, you know, I think. It takes a level of humility to realize, too, that you're not as great as you think you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really think sometimes we're God's gift to whatever we're doing in the moment. You know, it's interesting to start something. You have to have some level of, <laughs> I don't want to say, <laughs> you have to be naive, but <laughs> you have to have some level of, um, I will call it boldness just for fun. Okay, We'll call it boldness. Uh, it's a better word that will make people feel better, but there has to be some level of boldness to start something. But then when you get into it really quick, you you do realize how under, um, how underwhelming you can be and how um, insufficient you are. And so Christ just really surprised me with how patient he is towards uh, my insufficiency and my inability to catch up. You know, God, I, I live in a, I, I'm, I can be very performance driven in my life. And I've noticed that about myself. And so I can think about, um, I, I play this little mental game with myself that I'm always behind where I should be. Uh, no matter what I do, I live under this constant, uh, I have to be careful. This is the enemy's work, in, trying to work in me. Is you're, I'm never going to arrive. There'll never be a time where I've, I've, I've arrived. I'm not a good party thrower. I don't, I don't, and I'm not good at celebrations. I'm always thinking, well, this is great, but then this other thing we need to do. And so I live in a constant, like, um, you know, not, not yet. I have, I'm never going to get there. And so not only is God long suffering, but I think this is probably what I would say, uh, that I've that surprised me about God is that, um, he actually is happy with me. And that he loves to throw celebrations. He loves to celebrate you in ways. He, he finds ways to bring it, you know, bringing people to do certain things or to, or to um, say good job. Or he'll, it'll be some random person I know where I've had random people tell me, hey, I feel like the Lord wants me to share this with you, you know. And, and here I am when and they say that I buckle up for the worst, right? I'm always thinking, okay, lay it on me. How disappointed is God? <laughs> How far behind am I? And it's always generous. It's always loving. It's always kind. It's always, like Stella said, kind. It's always patient. It's always, I'm proud of you. You know, I'm with you. You're doing a good job. So in the midst of my criticalness, my shame that I, I can deal with from time to time, God is so uh, patient 
and um, he really loves to celebrate his kids. He lo- he really does take joy in your life. And because uh, I, I live, I've lived under the thought of like you know growing up my uh, my father who's who's passed away now. He really funny, great guy, but he was the dad that like you know if I if I played basketball, it was you know how many rebounds I didn't get, how many free throws I missed. You know, in his loving way, right? He was that guy. He was that guy that was like, hey, you know, you know, oh, great job, Brad, you know, but, you know, you missed these five free throws and you could have boxed out. I noticed that one time you didn't box out. I know that one time you didn't hustle back on defense. So these are the, you know, so he basically made a little list, not of the, not of the, the celebrations. He made a list every time. Of, and in his brain, he's thinking to himself, this is really going to help Brad improve. And so but I've realized in my life, uh, and I think this goes for so many others. What you end up learning about God is what you didn't have until you had God. And so what I've noticed is uh, the things I've noticed about being patient, about being loving, about having joy in celebrating me. Um, the reason why I've noticed that about him is not because he didn't have that before. It's just I've never had that growing up until I got into a relationship with him that I really, really started um, to be able to be enjoyed and to actually have that kind of relationship with God. There's so much more that I have wanted to ask you throughout this process, <laughs> but we're going to wrap up there. This has been so good. And I so appreciate you guys taking the time. Thank you for having us, Emma. Psalm 107 verse 43 says about stories like this. Those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord. If you have a story you'd like to share, or you know of someone who does, please go to our website at www.seeinggodpodcast.wordpress.com and click on Submit a Story. God is doing things all over in all of His people, and we want to know about as many stories as possible. So please do go to the website and submit a story. Also, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode or the podcast in general. You can tweet us at GodSeeing, or comment on our Instagram or Facebook pages at Seeing God Podcast. You can also email us at seeinggodpodcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced in the studios at Lancaster Bible College. I'm Emma Moore. Our interviewer is Jan Gebert. Our engineer is George Haynes. And our show music is Siberia by Dmitry Lukyanov. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seeing God.